We're going to continue in the word of God this morning. Please open with me to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21 this morning. Proof of the Spirit, part two. You know, last Sunday morning, we left off uh, talking about the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. In the last half of verse 23 of chapter three. So if you're in chapter three, uh, you flip back a page, just the last verse there, the last half of last verse, it says, and by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Boy, we live in a, in a time where people just love to interpret whatever that means to in their own little world. Yes. I've got the spirit of God. What does that mean? I've got a tingling. I've got a feeling, you know, I'm a prophet. I'm a, you know, whatever you are, we, we love to have this self-interpretation, but here in, in chapter four, we actually have um, some pr- parameters and definitions and, and some teaching from the apostle John as to what that really truly means to be indwelt by the Holy spirit, to have the seal of the Holy spirit on your life. And, and in that, in having the seal of the Holy spirit in your life, knowing for certain that he abides in you and you and him, that you are born again. Jesus, when he was um, leaving, says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He said this to his disciples. I'm going to pray to the father and he's going to send a helper. And that helper, that word paraclete, para means someone who comes alongside of you. He's going to be with you, but he'll be in you and he'll be upon you. So there's going to be God in you, basically. Jesus is God with us, so to speak, and the Holy Spirit is God in us. Where Jesus could only be at one place at one time while he was in the flesh, the Spirit came and now is in the heart of every single believer. We are born again by the Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He leads us. He protects us. He gives us gifts. I mean, the church, apart from the Holy Spirit, is not the church. He is ours. And we are His. And so I, I, I right off, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Spirit. Anyone else love him? <laughs> God, right? God in us. And so we don't want to minimize any of this. And, and really, as John is writing to the church, he's, he's writing for two reasons. One, he wants to make sure that each of us who have believed upon Jesus Christ know for certain that we're believers. He wants us to have assurance of our salvation. And the reason why he's writing that is because on the other hand, there are those who are undermining people's salvation, not that it can be taken away, but they are teaching things that are contrary to the scriptures, contrary to what actually the Holy spirit testifies to, you know? And so he says, one of the major proofs that we have an abiding relationship with God and the indwelling of the Holy spirit is that we have the seal of the Holy spirit. First Corinthians 12. So, you know, I'm talking about, something that's in the scripture, verse Corinthians 12, verses, verse, uh, chapter one, verse 21 through 22. You can write that down, look it up later, or it might be up there, but it says, and it is to, and it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And What Paul is speaking of there is the seal of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he as an apostle says, we as apostles have this seal. 
We've been given this by God. And, and, and many of you are thinking like, what, what in the world is a seal? Well, in Corinth, they lived on an isthmus. And so basically on one side of, you know, it's basically an area of land with water on both sides. For those of you who need like a geography refresher. And, and, but it, it, was, it was inconvenient enough where you couldn't just get cargo from one side to the other. And so what they did is they dug a trench part way. And I think they even took some of their cargo over land to get it from, I think, one of the seas to the other sea. I can't remember which one it is right now. Uh, Mediterranean to whatever it was. But in order to know whose cargo was, was what, they would put a seal on the cargo. They would melt wax or whatever it was. And then someone would have a signet ring and they put it on there and they'd, they'd, they'd mark it closed. It would be sealed. And so the only person who was supposed to open that package was the one who, whom it, to whom it belonged. The owner of the package. And, and so it would make this journey, this long journey at the end, the other person would have and go, oh, that's ours. Let's move it on to its destination. And then there it would be opened in the end. And the idea is that you have been the pre- precious uh, bride of Christ who's been purchased, not with the silly stuff of earth, not with money or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And as proof of that, He has sealed you with his very own self, with the Holy Spirit who indwells the the believer. How awesome is that? So the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. It's a proof. It's a protection. It, he. Notice it says whom there, but so Paul tells the Corinthians that they have been sealed by God's spirit. He also, well, he says that they as apostles have been sealed by God's spirit. But if you go to Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 and 14, Paul says in him, in Christ, Ephesians one, awesome, read it for homework, you'll be blessed. In him, that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. In him, were sealed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When he talks about a possession that can't be, you know, can't mobs can't come in and take care of it. People can't steal it or destroy it. It is kept in heaven by the power of God for you. And that's not talking about even a physical possession, even though that's part of it, but God is our very possession. He's everything for us that we possess him and he possesses us in the very most eternal, intimate way. So as you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit until that day, it's proof that you're his, that this is happening, that all of this is yours. All the promises are yours. John says the same thing, thing there at the end of chapter three, that we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so believers are born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross. And now the Holy Spirit indwells the believer and the apostle calls that the seal or he calls it an anointing in another place. But because we're not cargo and because the spirit is not wax, the analogy of the signet ring breaks down and because you can't see the spirit of God, you can't see the spirit of God. Jesus says the Holy spirit is like the wind. You don't see the Holy spirit. What do you see? We know wind exists, correct? How do you know the effects of the wind? Similarly, the proof that you have the the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit, that you're his, is there's an effect of the Holy Spirit upon you. A proof 
that's there. He says the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. And so John's pointing out to the church, the evidences of that seal of God upon us. And while we're on the one hand, that serves as a proof. Uh, those effects serve as proof in the life of a b- believer. They also serve as protection and discernment of what God and what God isn't. And one of the attacks the church faced as we face today, as we spoke about last Sunday, and I'll just go over it briefly again, was that there were false prophets who claimed to be uttering things on behalf of the Holy spirit. They would come into churches or be among people. And they'd say, listen, thus saith the Lord. And they would start talking and people go, wow, this is a prophet. We better just eat that up. And, and what was happening is the enemy was using that. Satan was using that to infiltrate the church to spill out false doctrine to the church. And so John turns around, says the, the first, uh, uh, the first proof there of the Holy spirit is, is that it's going to attest to the truth about Jesus Christ. He's going to t- attest to the truth about Jesus Christ. John said, don't believe everything that someone who says they're speaking by the spirit says, test the spirits rather. Right. We saw the first thing last week is the first proof of the spirit that John gives us there is about basically correct doctrine proof that we, the Holy spirit is in this is he's going to test to the truth about Jesus Christ. He's not going to test to a lie. And by this, he says in verse two, uh, he says uh, of chapter four, just quickly reviewing by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, Jesus confess Jesus <laughs> is not from God. This, where, where, what spirit is it from? This spirit is antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so a true believer is going to hold to the truth concerning Jesus. And they had a lot of things going on in their church in their day that someone would come in and start talking about Jesus. But when you actually dig, dig a little bit earlier, it was heresy. What they taught about Jesus It undermined. They didn't believe in his physical Uh, manifestation, his humanity. They didn't believe in his physical resurrection. They thought it was a spiritual resurrection or they, they were lying to the church about all these things. And that was because their theology, what they believed about God was some kind of mystic, weird thing that it didn't make a difference what you did physically, as long as you just were spiritually connected with God. So because the material world was bad and the spiritual world was good. So they spiritualized everything and justified everything else they did. So they could live like the pagans around them and yet claim to be a follower of Jesus. And John says, no, that is not the Jesus. We know that is not the Jesus who came into this world. No, he lived bodily. He lived humanly. He was at, he, he lived in the human form. He was without sin. He walked holy before God. He was obedient before God and he was justified before God in his resurrection. So the spirit's going to be a witness concerning Jesus and those who have the spirit are going to grow in that knowledge and testify of him as well. And we know the false prophets who came to the church, they, they can, they didn't agree to many of these things. And so John was addressing one angle of that, but we've got a lot of applications today. Don't just simply listen to someone who says they follow Jesus. Find out what they believe about Jesus. Dig deep, ask questions. And when you get deeper, you find out what they truly believe about the son of God. That's what you need to know. Because if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. And that's the enemy's tactic. You can have religion. You can have Jesus, just not the real one. 
And the second thing, the proof of the Holy Spirit is firstly belief and confession about the truth of Jesus. But this truth isn't arbitrary. It isn't, I mean, it isn't, uh, it isn't contrived truth or made up truth. It isn't your own personal truth. It's not what you want it to believe, be or think. It's what the apostles said. It's what the scriptures say concerning Jesus. This is important. It's not what pastor Matt wants you to think about Jesus is what does the scripture say about Jesus Christ? What did the prophets testify? What did they prophesy about Jesus? What did the eyewitnesses say and testify concerning Jesus? That's where the, that's the apostles doctrine. That's the truth. That's, that's what we go back to. And when we're wrong and we're off of that, we're wrong and we're off. Amen. Okay. Well, no one agreed there. Um, okay. So, I'm like, uh-oh, this is not going well. So secondly, a proof of the seal of the Holy Spirit is that we believe, we believed about Jesus in accordance with the apostles taught. There's a devotion and an adherence to the apostles doctrine. We see that in Acts 2.42. They gathered together, we were praying and all these types of things, but they were daily in the word devoted to what the apostles were teaching concerning Jesus Christ. And this is why John says in verse six, of chapter four here, he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We're of the truth. And so as we look at the New Testament, which when you read your Bible, you get to the New Testament. What you are seeing is a couple things. One is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. As you read the gospels, the four gospels, they're going to say, according to the scripture, they're going to be quoting tons of Old Testament scripture because they witnessed the fulfillment of those prophecies in the old Testament come alive before their very eyes in the person of Jesus Christ from his virgin birth, all the way to his ascension. They watched it in real time. They were there. They witnessed Jesus. Mary was there testifying to that. And then you've got all the apostles as they came on the scene or they were just disciples. And then they were made apostles. And so you see the gospels, which is the history of Jesus, actually his life and, and what he did and his miracles and all the things they've done. They're just recording from their particular version. I know like Mark wrote the gospel, but Mark is, is believed to be Peter's kind of account. Some people think that, that Peter that and Luke says, listen, I went and talked to all these eyewitnesses and I got the account. Oh, excellent Theophilus. And I'm telling you what they saw and they wrote it down. So we don't get to make up stuff about Jesus. The spirit testifies the truth that was delivered to the church from the apostles in the old Testament. You know, uh, if any of you, do any of you know anybody who uh, served in world war two? Did you know world war two didn't happen? <laughs> Just want you to know. They lie about World War II. It really didn't happen. There was no Holocaust. There wasn't a Holocaust. Now, how many of you are going, you're insane and that's insulting? Yeah, it is. My grandfather served in World War II. I talked to him about it. He was an eyewitness to some of the things that happened. I know many of you have had relatives who were there, but they're all gone now almost, right? They're all gone. So how do we know it's true? Well, there was an eyewitness testimony that was written down and we can verify with certainty. And then, they, then that gets into the same thing with the apostles. They were there, they saw it. And then that gets into the validity of scripture. I want to encourage you, come bug me. I'll give you information about why you can trust in the scriptures. 
more than even Plato and all these other things. It's just the evidence for scriptures being true and accurate is overwhelming more than any other literature on earth. It's, it's amazing. It is stunning. So can we trust the Bible? And that's where all the professors go. You just can't, can't trust it. Oh, just stop it. Eyewitnesses. There's more evidence that if you took the same evidence for the scriptures that you did on any other book of literature, you would believe the Bible. Anyways. So the second proof of the spirit is that we adhere to the foundation of the apostles doctrine what they said and taught concerning Jesus. And so if those first two proofs of the Holy Spirit could be summed up, it just is, it's summed up into one word. It's summed up into truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He testifies to the truth. Amen? Amen. But not only the truth, as we pick up in verse seven, and this is where we kind of kick it into a different gear, beloved, that is divinely loved ones, as John calls them. Let us not, uh, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Another proof of the spirit in the life of the believers, the believer will not only hold to the truth concerning Jesus, that truth will be manifested in love, in brotherly love. That's what the correct doctrine leads to. Correct doctrine leads to love, love for God and love for one another. And this is something that is perfected or completed in the life of a believer. Something that begins at salvation and is completed throughout a person's life through sanctification. We'll talk about this, but I love how John calls them beloved in verse seven, divinely loved by God. How many of you guys used to listen to Jay Vernon McGee? You know, listen, beloved, you know, and he'd call everybody beloved. And he's, he's echoing John here, divinely loved by God. You know, many of you know there are different Greek words in, in, in some, of, um, some of them are used in the New Testament. Some of them are not, but ancient Greek words used for love. And we only have one English word for love. You know, you love your cat, you love football, you love your wife. Hopefully not all those being the same thing. Um, but there was Aries, which is kind of, which is, speaks of physical love, but physical love is a conditional love. And so that's the physical plane. Then there was phileo, which is where we get the word of, uh, you know, like Philadelphia, which is like the city of brotherly love. And that's the kind of love that is. And that's a poorly named city there. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, just kidding. I'm just saying, you better be a fan. That's all. (laughs) I know we've got a lot of Eagles fans. But even that is a conditional love, as we saw with Peter and the Lord. Peter said, you know, I love you like a brother. And Jesus was saying, do you love me unconditionally? Peter says, I only love you like a brother. And then Jesus actually goes in the Greek and says, do you even love me like a brother? And Peter breaks down and cries, you know? So that's a, that's something that seems to be a conditional love even as well at times. But then there's this kind of love that John's speaking of when he says, let us love one another for love is God. And this is that agape love. You guys know this. It's agape love. It's a God love. It's a, it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that does, that sacrifices itself for the best of others. John just flat out says, love is from God. And whoever loves is born of God and knows God. In other words, if God's spirit is in us, the proof of that is going to be manifested in love. Love for God and love for one another. 
It just comes down to that. And, and this is the one thing I, I really do love about this church. I say love lightly, I guess, but I really do. I love about you is that you love each other. I see it all the time. You love one another. I felt your love. And that's the proof, you know, that God is, is in this church is, yes, we have right doctrine, but you can be right and, and wrong same time it's got to work itself out in brotherly love for one another and do we have to grow in that absolutely we're not all finished we're still being perfected still being sanctified but we love one another and i love that but don't let me just tuning your own horn be like oh then good let's move on um the lord would seek to well we'll just keep on going here but I think our, our understanding of love in our culture is, is really messed up. Especially when it, when it comes to the love of God. Many turn the love of God, that God is love. How many of you young people th- have heard that God is love and therefore have, have kind of have a cultural understanding that translates into the acceptance of anything goes. That's kind of, that's kind of what, what's going on. As I talk to people, they use, oh, well, love is love. God God is love, so therefore don't judge me. That means if you love me, you're going to let me do whatever I want. That's kind of what we see a lot in this world today, even in the church. Uh, you know, we can kind of, and, and that actually goes to the heresy that John is teaching against. That you can be spiritual, but who cares about what you do physically? Right? Does that make sense a little bit? And, and John's talking about that because it's a perversion of God's love. And so, how can we understand the love of God? You know, what, how, can you, how can we understand when it, when it says that God is love? How can you practically understand that? What does that mean? If he is love and love comes from him, what does that look like? Practically. Let's keep reading. In this, verse 9, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not all, I'm sorry, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the covering for our sins. John's point seems to be this. God's love was on display towards humanity when he sent Jesus, his son, into the world to die sacrificially on the cross so that our sins committed against him could be forgiven and we would have eternal life in place of his righteous judgment and wrath. God loved us. We did not love him. We were far away. We were enemies. We were the ones in rebellion and yet he came to us. He provided the means for peace between us and him. He sent his own son to die, to redeem you, to redeem me out of the life of sin and to give us his life. And if that's not love, I don't know what it is. I mean, look at our, look at our um, lives today around us. How many of us are, are looking at our enemies and looking at, at ways to redeem and to bring them into the kingdom? Or are we looking to slaughter and isolate them and push them back and, and, and win intellectual arguments? God loves, God's love was manifested in Jesus. John says love is from God. What does that look like? That's Jesus. Jesus is the love of God that was manifested. When you look at Jesus, you look at the love of God in, in, in human form. 
Love became a person, so to speak. And anyone who has received love, who has received the son, who has been given the spirit as proof, they're going to have proof of that transaction. That that really happened, that they've received love because with the love they've received, they are now going to go love one another. It's the same love that Christ demonstrated towards us, that the father gave towards us, that we now give towards one another. If we have the spirit, verse 11, beloved, if so, God loves us, loved us. We ought to love one another. We ought to agape one another. We ought to sacrificially love one another. So the proof of the spirit is love, love for one another. Verse 12, we've already been through this several times, but verse 12, no one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or completed in us. So John is speaking about the father here. He's saying no one's seen, because he's talking about the spirit. That's the context. He's saying no one has seen God. No, you can't see the father because he's spirit, right? So how are you going to know the effects of God upon a person? It's like the wind. You're going to see the effects of love manifested in a believer. The proof of God abiding in us is seen in our love for one another. You know, I was listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman. I know this is dating me. Stephen Curtis Chapman uh, the other day, people are like, what? Uh, anyways, there's a song he has called The Change. And I, I love that song. It's, it's kind of rocking and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the first verse in the chorus, they say this. It says, well, I got myself a t-shirt that says what I believe. I got letters on my bracelet to serve as my ID. I got the necklace and the keychain and almost everything a good Christian needs. Yeah. <laughs> I got the little Bible magnets on my refrigerator door. Anybody else? And a welcome mat to bless you before you walk across my floor. I got a Jesus bumper sticker and an outline of a fish stuck on my car. Anybody else got that going on? And he goes, and even all that stuff is, and even though this stuff's all well and good, I can't help but ask myself, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing I'm undergoing the change? You know, I think those are, you know, what, what, he's, what Stephen Curtis Chapman is talking about is just what John, he's just reiterating it artistically, the proof of the spirit and the believer. There's a change that happens. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said to the disciples, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the shirt you wear, <laughs> by the political party, by the things you don't like. What does he say? What's the witness? By your love for one another. Proof of God's spirit is evidenced in a person who has been changed from darkness to light, from death to light, from hate to love, as he was talking about with Cain and Abel, right? Love. And while this is an evidence, John was also reminding them that it's also protection. Keep that in mind as you're listening, as you're following what someone's saying under the spirit. Does it result in love? So challenging, isn't it? 
and not the world's love, God's love, right? Because we know that it's not loving to celebrate sin that Jesus Christ died to forgive us from, right? It's not loving. That violates his character as well. But here's the thing about the false prophets. They can't replicate the spirit. They can't replicate this. And this is the thing I'm nervous about kind of a little bit in, in the way the church is going is it's become a theater, you know, trying to replicate and you get an emotional charge and somehow that equates to Holy spirit. You can't, you can't now I got to confess. I I purchased the fog machine. It'll be cool. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) This cabal, it's going to be great. I don't want to judge. I'm just saying You can't manufacture the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit. This is who the church is, right? And it's got to come from who we are with him. And, you know, I'm challenged on this. I'm, I'm convicted, you know? John brings it back to the big picture, verse 13 here. It says, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Notice he's defined it so far. Truth, love. Verse 14, we've already, when we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he in God. So he goes back to truth again. He starts with truth, goes to love, goes back to truth. And he's going to go back to love again. This is how the apostles taught quite often how John talks. If you think about it, you know, first, I don't know if you caught it. First Corinthians chapter 12 starts talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what's chapter 13? First Corinthians 13 is the what chapter? The love chapter. What is first Corinthians chapter 14? Gifts again. Spirit, love, spirit. Right? John goes, truth, love, truth, love, truth, love. And we have seen and testified. John says, we've seen it. I'm an apostle. I was there and I testify that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. John was there at the baptism of Jesus. He was a disciple, I believe, of John the Baptist. At the time, he watched Jesus be baptized. He heard the voice from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove and landing upon the Son of God. And they heard John say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he he left and started following Jesus. We've seen, we've testified the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. And he in God. Now, this is something, again, the proof of the Spirit it testifies about Jesus that he came in the flesh is what John was talking about before. Right. And now he comes back and says here again in verses 14, 50, that he's the savior of the world and that he's the son of God. The the spirit testifies that Jesus actually came in the flesh, that God became flesh, that he is the son of God, that he is the savior of the world. That's what the spirit testifies of not a savior, the savior, that he is the son of God, that he came in the flesh. This is what the Holy spirit testifies to you. Again, 
Back in John 15, when Jesus was speaking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit that would be sent, he says in verses 26 and 27 of John 15, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father and other places, he said, the father will send. So who's doing the sending God? Yes. So he says, who I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who will proceed from the father. He will bear witness about me. Jesus said, it's not Jehovah's witnesses. The spirit testifies of the son who then testifies of the father. He says, and you will also be my witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. He's speaking to the disciples. You're going to be witnesses. You've seen it all. So the spirit bears witness concerning Jesus. And so would those who would receive the spirit again in Acts one verse eight, Jesus said to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Where starting right where you're at in Jerusalem, then where Samaria, they didn't know they'd be persecuted and scattered, but that's where they became witnesses in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel has spread. Hello. (laughs) Walla walla. The gospel has come to Walla Walla because Jesus said it would through these men and the faithful men and women throughout the years who have testified concerning their truth that they saw, which is our truth. So John has the spirit of God and under the power of the Holy spirit, he testifies to the fact that Jesus came from the father to be the savior of the world. And verse 16 says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. He goes back to the love thing again and starts talking like Yoda a little bit, you know, (laughs) you guys going back and forth and replacing things. It's awesome. John says, we have come to know and believe God that we've come to believe Jesus that coming to know and believing in Jesus, it's a work of the Holy spirit. Do you know that you're not going to come to know and believe unless God shows up. We all like sheep have gone astray. That's our nature, but God and his love, he busts into our world with the light of his son. And he says that all who would believe come to me, Come to me. God breaks into your world. Maybe he's breaking into your world right now. A world of darkness. And with the light and the love of his son, he offers forgiveness. He offers new life. He offers all those things. And all you need to do is lose your life. Lay down your life. Surrender your life to him. Believe. This is what he says. Believe. Come to believe the love that God has for us. What a work of the spirit. Verse 17. And by this, by this is love perfected with us. It's completed within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Another evidence of the Holy Spirit, if you could just sum all that up in one word, it's Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Evidence of of the Spirit in someone is Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit in the believer perfects God's love in us. That perfecting of love is another way of saying sanctification. Making us more like Jesus every single day. That's 
what the idea is. Those who are walking in the love of God, who are being sanctified by the Holy spirit, who are being taught and who actually live in obedience and love. They don't have fear of judgment. Why? Because just as Jesus was in the world. So we are in the world. This is why Paul was talking about in Galatians. He says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And he starts going on the list and he goes against there. There is no law. Don't need to worry about that as you're walking in the spirit, but evidence of the other things, boy, that kind of brings a nervousness in your heart, right? You see, we truly know the love of God for Jesus in us. As we know that love, we worship him with our lives. We live in light of that mercy. We, we conform our lives to him and his image, right? That's a work of the spirit in us. And that love we've been given is going to be lived out towards others and those around us as imperfectly as we do. <laughs> Amen. But that's what the Holy spirit desires to do is perfect that love in us. Complete it. And that idea of perfection is the idea of maturity. A mature believer is one who is trained in righteousness and trained in, in obedience and love. And they're following the Lord and, and, and there's a, there's a understanding of the grace of God, a deep grace of God in our lives, but that's not a grace to sin. There's a, a sensitivity towards sin. There's a, 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 a repulsion of darkness. There's a moving towards the light. And so the spirit desires to perfect that work of God's love in our hearts and minds that only he can complete. And we simply love and obey him. And as we mature in that love, the result is a confidence, a boldness is the word before God, a confidence and a boldness before God, not arrogance. But the idea is that on the the day when we stand before Christ, we know we're good. The big picture again is that if we keep in, in step with the spirit, there's no law against that. This is the work that God has done. And we are, as John said earlier, walking as Jesus walked. That's what the church is supposed to be, right? Or as he just said, as, as he was in the world, so we are. You know, um, I think if, if we are, are, are nervous in our hearts before God about judgment, a couple things could be happening. One is we're walking in sin. And that's the Holy Spirit saying, no, get right, repent. You're not walking in obedience. You're not walking in love. One of those things is, is not happening. Well, they're kind of the same thing there. And, or it could be, we don't have a proper understanding of the grace of God. We need to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of truth. We just need to grow up because how many of you have done some pretty uh, horrible things in your opinion? Yeah. And God's, it's much worse. <laughs> Just to let you not to make you, uh, you know, want to push that. The idea is, is, is how big is God's grace and his love? It's, it's a tidal wave against a matchstick. It's, it's amazing. But the other option is you cannot be, you might not be born again. The Holy Spirit is doing his job of conviction of sin. That's what he does. He convicts the world of sin of righteousness and the judgment to come. And why is, the, why is the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, of righteousness, and the judgment to come? What's, what do you think his aim is? To drive you to someone. 
<laughs> to drive me to someone. Who is that? Jesus. We run to our only hope. Jesus Christ. In John, in verse 19, he sums up his point here. I kind of went off, but he says, we love because he first loved, loved us. God came to us first. And that's why we love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's so many verses about this. And the motivations for John love is, is simply a response to the great love of God to Jesus Christ. Verse 20, and he just wants to clarify because he was running into people who were saying, I love God. And yet what they were teaching and what was going on was not that. He says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Great point. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Again, the proof of the spirit is not only in truth, but it's manifested in the people next to you. Brotherly love. False prophets, again, were claiming to be speaking on behalf of the spirit of God. And they were liars. John says they denied the truth concerning Jesus. And they did not have the evidence of brotherly love, but rather they taught that you could be spiritual. and It didn't matter how you live. That is a lie. It does. John says these guys were liars because God's love changes you. His love changes you. It changes us. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. And so as God's love has been received, received in Christ, it changes us and it overflows to others. Beautiful stuff here. Challenging and and encouraging all at the same time. Father, I pray that your word would go down deep into our hearts. Father, uh, this is the stony ground, Lord, of our hearts, Lord, the uh, rocky ground, the path, Lord, the, the cares of the world that want to choke out the fruit, Lord. We may we have good ground. Pray that that harvest would come up and bring glory to your name, that harvest of love, obedience. Thank you for this little fellowship, God, and the work you're doing here in our hearts and our lives. All glory and honor to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.